The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and today. One, two, three, one, two, three. Hold on, hold on. Now, I'm just going to raise this so it's nearer the bass strings than the top string. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was young, was so much younger than today. Anybody's help in any way For the first time 
since episode one, we have creator of Yesterday and Today, Wayne Kaminsky here. Hello. And this is uh, Paul Kaminsky and James. You want to say hi there? Hi, I'm James Kaminsky. (laughs) So we're back for the first time since episode one to do a little bit of recap of the series up to this point because a lot has happened between January 1, 1965 and September of 1969. Mm. We thought we would take this break after the release of Abbey Road to discuss what happened up to this point and to tease some stuff in the future and to intro for you all a very special little bonus tidbit for this episode but dad let's uh dad uh i guess i'll call you dad i don't know dad wayne uh dad (laughs) father grand dude grand father of us father to all (laughs) would you like to tell us a little bit about your thoughts of the evolution of the beatles from 65 to 69 sure As Paul mentioned, this is really a crossroads in their development as well as in their history. Uh, We heard primarily them growing up through 65 through uh, 1969. And now we're in a point where they are starting to get a little bit bitchy at each other. Yeah. Mm. And it's going to get really interesting and it's going to get pretty ugly. The special coming up will have more of the courtroom saga it would get more involved in the legalities of everything and the exact bitchiness that happened whether it be in print or in uh, music but what led to that point was rather interesting i thought yeah especially 1965 yep going through a couple of movies and going through some changes especially in their musical direction up to that point in 65 they were recording straight tracks with uh, vocals and instrumentation. And now, from 65 onward, they were starting to isolate the tracks, starting to do actually the instrumentation first, going through the uh, drumming, and then laying on vocal overdubs, as well as other overdubs, which kind of led to a lengthy session in the studio. So whereas you had maybe 10 takes before, now you have about 62 takes. And especially like in the White Album, you had 100 takes of uh, one of George's songs, and they still didn't use it. I know. (laughs) Thanks, Paul McCartney. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) I just wanted to go back to one thing you said a moment ago. You mentioned growing up, and Mm. I think it's important for the listeners to remember just how young the Beatles were throughout this process. At the beginning of 65, when we started the podcast, the oldest Beatle wasn't even... 25 yet Mm. Um, right so that's pretty darn young right and obviously their friendship went back into their teens but what i found very interesting was you know there's like uh human years and there's dog years and then there's beetle years (laughs) it's kind of true they experienced so much the heights of fame the most the world could throw at them was thrown at them in just the four short years we've covered so far and you really do see them growing up and i think the real turning point just from my perspective and guys please jump in if you if you feel differently but i think the real turning point was rishikesh mm. um because i think you see a, a group still kind of trying to be united going into rishikesh and i think coming back from india you see a group that's kind of found their own way in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that stems from John Lennon. I think a lot of that stems from Epstein being gone too, though. I mean, yeah, without yeah. him, they're not as tied together as they once were. True. Well, in a way, I mean, Brian was still alive when they met with the Maharishi. As a matter of fact, they were going to bring him to India on that trek. But as you know, that didn't happen. But they did meet him in Wales. Mm-hmm. Brian was still alive at that point. I think mentally and 
maturity had changed at that point in the Maharishi days. Musically, I think it was coming to a head, especially after the release of Rubber Soul and Revolver. As Lennon said, they had control of the uh, studio at that point. Yeah. So I think musically they grew up prior to them going to India, which brings up another interesting point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think their ego started to develop in India. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Speaking of ego in India, I mean, John Lennon, there's a perfect example of somebody who's substance abuse up to going to Rishikesh was starting to be sort of self-destructive for him. Mm. And I think Rishikesh pointed him inward to a reflective place that maybe showed him who he was a little bit more clearly than he had in maybe his whole life, because boy, sobriety will do that to you, won't it? Um, if you're if you're doing nothing but taking speed and drinking and doing blow and, and smoking pot and tripping balls constantly for like a period of five years, then the first time you stop doing that and then start spending 10 hours a day in a hut thinking about stuff, boy, that's bound to change your point of view. So I think... Yeah, you know that. I think that's what I what I mean by Rishikesh being the tipping point. Of course, it's not uh, James. I think you know your point about Brian Epstein is totally true. Like if we're thinking about the Beatles as a lifetime, you know, almost thinking about them as a person or a single entity, Epstein dying is really like leave, them leaving home for the first time, right? It's like the parent going away in a way. Yeah, where the podcast starts off in '65 is a good, I would say, starting point to them maturing as adults and as musicians Mm -hmm. because the 65 tour saw Shea Stadium. It saw some of the worst experiences the world could possibly have for them to (laughs) go through, like in the Philippines and and all that stuff. Right, right. Later on in 66, yeah. On top of that, there's John being sort of misquoted and half of America, like, despising them. Like, they saw a lot of damage and damage control in that two-year span that I think really kind of solidified what it was to be a Beatle. It wasn't like uh, they they weren't happily wearing suits and dancing around anymore. It was starting to become like a real job and a real thing. Right. I think Paul McCartney was. <laughs> well, yeah. he, he's still doing that. <laughs> Dad, I think it's safe to say you're kind of a Paul guy, right? Would I be fair in saying that? He was my favorite, yes. <laughs> yeah, and James, you're kind of a Paul guy too, right? Yeah, for the most part. He's my usual go-to than George. And mine as well. So I think we're all kind of Paul people. But what I walked away from this, from actually just listening to this straight through from 65 to 69, is just how forever linked Lennon's journey and the Beatles' journey is. I had often considered Paul to be really the driving force. Well, I mean, obviously the the narrative is that after Brian died, he was the driving force. But I often considered Paul to be, in a lot of ways, the musical and creative leader for the group. But What I found listening to this is actually it's more closely tied to John Lennon and what his state of mind is, because what his state of mind is tends to inform everything else that they're doing. When he's feeling passive, he lets Paul do what he wants. When he's feeling active, everyone jumps, you know? It's like he says jump, they say how high. It was shocking to me to just hear it going through these years. Dad, what do you think about that? Who do you think was really in charge of the Beatles' decision-making, or do you think it was more of a group effort? I think in a way you were correct. For example, we talked about um, the Let It Be project, the Get Back project. The group in the studio at Apple were wondering where to do a show and should we do a show. And there was so much talk about it. Lennon got sick of the talk and he just 
literally picked up his guitar and he said, let's just do this on the roof. Right. <laughs> and he was the one, he was the first one, and it's documented in many books. He was the first one to walk up those steps to go to the roof. Yeah. And everyone else followed. As far as the creativity is concerned, sure. If you really take song by song in their career from the 65 through 69, and by the way, we will cover prior to 65 on future podcasts. And uh, the way that special will work is this special will go off into another moment in the future, and then it will turn around and head back to them being born and growing up and go through it to 64. And then we'll go back to 65 again, yeah. just like a Back to the Future loop. <laughs> a few Beatle Benjamin buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer the question, yeah, I mean, you could see how many songs Lennon did as opposed to how many songs McCartney did. Who was more predominant in the Lennon-McCartney collaboration as far as the songwriting? For example, you have A Day in the Life and you have more Lennon lyric yeah. than you have McCartney lyric. McCartney was good for the one or two liners with the catchy beat, right. but Lennon was good for the storytelling, and he usually told it in first person, which is kind of unusual at that time, unless you were a folk singer. Right, right. <laughs> Nothing against folk singers. <laughs> <laughs> Paul was more of a PR guy than John was, so Paul was always able to kind of take the narrative and hook it in a way that made him push to the forefront, and John did a lot more of the, I'm an artist, I'm going to create and I don't need the people's <laughs> approval for it. I mean, that's how we got Revolution 9. Like, right. it, there's, there's no reason we should have gotten that with Paul. Paul would never have yeah. even tried it. But I think his public image was a lot more at the forefront. I think you're right. I think Paul was brave enough to try it because John tried it. Like, you look at mm. Paul's later experimentation. I mean, he he was experimenting sort of privately earlier than that. We heard in 66 him with Peter Asher doing those funky, weird recordings. And, of, of course, we know that Tomorrow Never Knows, those tape loops, that was a McCartney thing. But I don't think he would have been brave enough to expose it to the public without John Lennon paving that way first. Mm -hmm. To go back to something Dad said about the songwriting, another revelation for me, again, listening to this show, is just what control Paul McCartney took of those singles from like the fall of 67 to the end of the group. You look at, you know, pretty much every single after All You Need Is Love is Paul McCartney, mm -hmm. almost without fail. In fact, I think the streak was going until the Ballad of John and Yoko. That's a long streak. And so you have... Lennon pushing McCartney to loosen up a little bit and be less commercial. And you have McCartney pushing Lennon saying, hey, look at this commercial thing that I made. And no one could argue with those were the singles. You know, no one can argue with Hey Jude. No one can argue with Get Back. Those are singles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There have been some exceptions such as Revolution. And uh, I know Lennon wanted Across the Universe as a single, but never got it. I think Lady Madonna won over that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, Paul knew that people wouldn't buy art for art's sake unless they were really into art. And he knew that people would buy Beatle records if they had Beatle-y sounding songs. So he tried to mix it in. Yeah, there's a quote from when Revolver came out. I forget which episode it is, but it's in 66. After Revolver comes out, the interviewer is asking Paul, isn't some of this stuff too far out or something like that? And McCartney said, well, some of it is. You have to ease people into it. Mm -hmm. You have to gently... <laughs> 
kind of, if you want to guide the direction, you don't do it radically. You do it by taking a common denominator, something people already enjoy, and then twisting it a little bit, and then push ever so slowly into that direction. For every day in the life, there's a one I'm 64 to help balance it out, and it's what makes the Beatles such a perfect balance as a group. And what we're going to see in the episodes to come is just what it looks like when they're not there anymore to help each other out. And it's fascinating to see the extremes each go to yeah. with that void in place. Well, yeah. I mean, George finds his own support system that's far from Beatles and becomes a way better songwriter for it. So not that he wasn't before. He's obviously come into his own in what we've listened to. He really has yeah. worked on his songwriting. And same with Ringo. Ringo finds his own support system too, although it's his support system seems to be le- more of a enabling system, but that's <laughs> beside the point. His support system was a, a very interesting one via parties. Yeah. 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 You know, let's face it, you are what makes you up and what you turn into is pretty much a lot of influences by the people you're surrounded with. Maybe that's why the Beatles were so good, because they were influenced by themselves and influenced by other musicians. Right. And when you didn't have that influence anymore, or if you didn't want to listen to other musicians, uh, <coughs> Paul McCartney, um, <laughs> you know, then, uh, then your music becomes stale. Uh, your lyrics become not as clever or not as uh, thoughtful right. as you would like them to but be. But we've been starting yeah. to see where these support systems are we're seeing the foundation of these support systems that each Beatle will choose after the Beatles. In the past, like, ten episodes or so, like, John found Yoko. That's a pillar that he needs in his life and becomes, like, a main part of his focus later on. Paul has Linda, you know, will obviously turn into Wings later on, and uh, George has found Clapton and all these other folks. Ringo's found yeah. uh, Harry Nilsson and things. So there's definitely a lot of that stuff is be- has been built over the past few episodes and uh, will be expounded upon later. Yeah, there's a funny quote in an upcoming episode, I think when we get to 1970, where George, I think it's after the, the breakup is announced and George says something along the lines of, I don't think Paul has any friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and and I think that that's like his way of say, like saying what you're saying, James, is that he's tuning people out. You know, I think they're all pretty arrogant. I think we've seen that over the course of this series so far. You know, whether or not we think they're geniuses or whether or not we like them or think they're interesting historical figures, I think their arrogance is pretty self-evident. And it's just going to kind of get worse when they don't have each other to take the piss out of the other ones. So that's going to be interesting to look at. I, for one, very much looking forward to the 70s, the 80s and beyond. I think it's very interesting to see whether their musical journeys took them. And I actually wind up listening to their solo material regularly more than Beatle material just because there's so much there to pull from. And Dad, you and I were talking the other day about 1973, for example. Mm. There was five LPs that came out that year. Oh, I remember it well. (laughs) Five Beatle LPs. That's insane. When you're a kid, that was a lot of money to be (laughs) shelling out. And the 45s, too. (laughs) The output just explodes, you know? Yeah, very true. It's crazy. What was interesting, to go back a little bit, you were talking about Lennon and his arrogance, and I was saying, yes, uh, the egos really took hold. When George walked out, I don't know if you caught it in the special, but Lennon actually says, let's get Eric Clapton. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's crazy. And they wanted to put Eric Clapton in and play, and they didn't really care if George came back. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's interesting to note that six or seven months later, Lennon's the one that originally said he quit. Right. Well, that's another revelation for me, again, listening to all of these in order, is that each of the Beatles individually quits at different points in time. You have Ringo, right. you have Ringo kicking it off in uh, summer 68, give or take. They're all sort of ambivalent about it when Ringo leaves. They're all like, oh, let's send him a postcard or something and give, bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> they don't seem to really mind. In fact, they go back into the studio and lay down a couple tracks. Um, yeah. With Paul on drums. Right. Uh, and then you get George quitting in January 69. And like you said, they're like, well, let's just get Clapton. And of course, Lennon would do that later. I, I think part of why Clapton was on the mind for him was because he had just played with Eric in the Rock and Roll Circus in, as a member of the Dirty Mac. And then Clapton would later join Lennon for the Plastic Ono Band in Life Peace in Toronto. So it's when Lennon leaves that it all starts to feel more serious. The weird thing we're going to see, though, is that's not the thing that ultimately splits them publicly. It'll be that fourth shoe dropping mm. in the form of Paul McCartney. As you say, James, he's the PR man, and boy, did he frame that one. Perhaps not the best at the time, but in, in history's eyes, I think he's seen to it that he is portrayed as the hero in this situation. Dad, do you have thoughts on Alan Klein and were there any positives to Alan Klein joining the Apple uh, Corporation? A big positive is that he was from New Jersey. (laughs) 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 Um, Alan Klein was an interesting fellow. He also did manage Herman's Hermits. Mm -hmm. He also uh, managed, as you know, the Rolling Stones. Right. But he was a very, very interesting not so much of a manager, but an accountant for various groups. Hmm. As a matter of fact, later on in life, he really did get together with Ronnie Spector and Phil Spector and purchased a lot of the music for Phil Spector and started various music companies for them as well as other bands from the 50s and 60s. He was a very shrewd guy. Would you want to have him in your portfolio of people in your office? Uh, Maybe for a little while to see where he would take you. You ask me, where's the money? Where's the money? I mean, I don't know where the money is. I've never been good with figures. You know that. I don't know anything about math. It was never my good subject. I don't know where the money is, but if you need money, I'll give you money. I think McCartney did give him that in the beginning. There's a lot of photographs and a lot of audio showing, and you hear of McCartney giving him a little space. As a matter of fact, he wanted uh, joint management. Right. McCartney did. With the Eastmans, right? With the Eastmans. And not so much like, oh, the Eastmans will manage me and Klein will manage you, but more or less, okay, we'll take Alan as the manager, but we'll have the Eastmans as our accountants. Yeah, sort of a watchdog system or like a... Exactly. uh, Yeah, a way to balance it. But I think McCartney's folly there is like his in-laws being involved in it is just too... It's just... That shows a lack of foresight on his part. It really does. Because like, obviously that that's going to come off as favoring him. I feel like if they were younger and more willing to trust each other, I suppose, maybe that would have come across, but... I think that's ultimately where McCartney's arrogance takes over is that he's going to get his in-laws involved. Well, you're not going to win friends by doing that. Obviously, that's going to favor you, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it would have been a nice checks and balances if it worked properly. Yeah. What I want to know is why he couldn't find another alternative. Why was it the Eastmans or nothing? It probably had something to do with favoring him. 
I don't think that was his main goal, but he really wanted to probably show Linda and her family that he was trying to help them out, too. Could have been. I mean, later on in life, Alan Klein really got involved with people like Michael Jackson as well. And, you know, in the beginning, I guess he started out with Sam Cooke in 63 as as more of a business partner with those folks. And you would think, because it was a group of four people, you would think that if McCartney didn't want Alan Klein and Lennon and the others didn't want to have... I, I think it was just Lennon. I don't think the others really cared, in my personal opinion. And again, yeah. that's my opinion. And if Lennon didn't want the Eastmans, like Paul said, find somebody else right? entirely. You know, let's shop around now. And instead, they all used it as an excuse to say, look how terrible you are. <laughs> oh, they dug, they dug their heels in like politicians. You know, it's like, okay, you can't, you know, I'm, I want this person and that's it. And I want this person and that's it. It's really a shame. I think if they did go elsewhere, they probably still would have been better off and somewhat together. Yeah, we often think about, okay, well, what if the Beatles never broke up and what would that have looked like? I think uh, we've seen it in your special, Dad, where you get Lennon sort of wanting to involve Yoko and stuff and Paul saying no. Beatles is for people. What I find very interesting is Paul kind of wavering a little bit when it comes to Billy Preston. And, you know, in all fairness to Paul, he tried with, like, he didn't shut Yoko out completely. I mean, she carries with her the first credit of an outside voice appearing as a sole vocalist on a Beatle track with Bungalow Bill, right? Mm -hmm. So he's making concessions, but I think Paul was saying, no, Beatles is for people. And I think what Lennon was saying and what Lennon was sort of coaxing George and maybe maybe Ringo to, to a lesser extent into thinking was, no, no, Beatles can be more than for people. Do you think the Beatles would have been able to go on and would have sounded any good as the kind of musical collective Lennon was thinking they could have become? Or do you think it was just, it was the four or nothing? Do you take more Paul's point of view on that or more John's, Dad? Well, I think in the special to come from 70s and beyond, you'll hear that in 72. You'll hear that in 71, where Lennon's direction with Yoko, if incorporated into the Beatles, I think would have been financially a disaster. Mm. I, you know, if you're looking at it pure financially, it would have been a disaster. Now, when you say that, I mean, let's keep in mind, Double Fantasy was a split record, and that one did okay. Yeah, it did okay. Not to stop you on that point, but the song starting over did okay. Okay. Uh, then, unfortunately, something happened to John, and uh, then right after that happened, it skyrocketed in sales. That's fair. You know, and I do cover Yoko pretty extensively in the special because she is part of the history of it. My apologies to anyone that's listening to Yoko and can't handle it, but <laughs> she was she was part of part of that history, and I wanted to portray what they liked rather than what I liked or didn't like. Right. So by putting Yoko in a more vocal spot, I think would have been a disaster. Only because, again, I just don't think she might have had all the training in the world on classical piano. Right. And she may have been great, but her or Linda, unfortunately, too, they're not singers. No, he's with his new girlfriend, the Japanese conceptual artist. Barbershop is in danger of going stale. I'm taking it to strange new places. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. eight. You don't have to be a, a beautiful singer, but put the voice where it belongs, Lennon did in Bungalow Bill. 
put the voice as a solo may not be all the greatest. I think what Dad's saying is pretty spot on because, like, as I mentioned before, Revolution 9, very artsy. By Beatle fans, one of the least appreciated. By the general public, not appreciated at all. And (laughs) I think if Yoko was a main part of the band, we would have gotten a whole album of that sort of stuff at at some point if she was to join. I think people would have stopped caring about the Beatles at that point. They would have become that old hippie band or that band that does the weird art pieces. I think like it still would have had fans, but I think their impact wouldn't have been as lasting. I feel like they would have continued on into not mattering nearly as much as they have. I think that's totally valid. I think you're right. And part of their mythology is that sort of 10-year, decade-long, them and the 60s are synonymous with one another. They embody the 60s. They begin and they end more or less within the 60s. And so as a story, as a fable or something, they're much more effective stopping when they did as opposed to going on and making lots of little mistakes. I think you would have got a cool Exile on Main Street style renaissance probably in like 73. I think the Ringo album, which we'll get to again in 73, is a prime example of how the Beatle collective could have worked because you get the songwriting of John, Paul, George, and Ringo together on one record with other people and it works so i think it could have under the right circumstances but i agree it would have opened the floodgates for a lot of bizarre releases that would have alienated some fans Mm -hmm. i agree so let's leave it there and let's talk a little bit about what we're about to hear so one of the uh things we wanted to leave you all with today is a sort of bonus episode if you will which touches on something that we got to at the very end of the last episode which is this bizarre paul is dead rumor that popped up right after the release of Abbey Road. Dad, you've prepared here a straight broadcast of the inception of this Paul is Dead rumor. Do you want to give us a little bit of background of what we're about to hear? Sure. In the first episode in 1965, in the very beginning prior to the episode, I mentioned that one of my favorite radio stations growing up was WABC AM Radio in New York. Ah, W.A. Beatles C. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... What I'm bringing on this little supplemental episode is a broadcast from WA Beatles C <laughs> um, AM radio. And it not necessarily has all Beatles songs in this episode, so we're going to just hear a radio episode with other musicians as well, other groups. You know, some of the Temptations or Mel and Tim, you know, some other uh, groups that were very popular in 1969 as part of this uh, small special here. But it does show one of the, I guess, musical seriousness of what was happening in the Beatles. Mm. You had someone bringing to the attention of everyone that one of the members of the group is dead. (laughs) So... You had all these radio stations, and I remember it well, WMCA, WABC, some of the FM stations. They all started uh, contemplating, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something that uh, is going on. So then you'd have all these radio stations checking to see exactly what's happened to one of the Beatles from what they can hear and what they can assume Paul McCartney had died and was replaced by a different person. (laughs) 
they had in the uh, on a poster that was in the White Album a picture of and I, and I believe it was Derek Taylor, mm-hmm. but they's like who is this guy and they had a question mark by his head and they're saying oh no it's David Campbell or some fellow from Scotland that had plastic surgery to take over Paul McCartney you know his looks and for the albums they had different uh, sound alikes and. You know, there was so many clues on the records and this and that. And I I wanted to bring that out in a different special to show the hysteria that was going on. It's bizarre. It's bizarre that it happened. I mean, that goes to show just how important the Beatles were to people at the time is that they thought that if one of them died, they would have to trick people into thinking they didn't die. People believed that they had the power to have somebody get plastic surgery and fool the entire world that like it's it's so bizarre we're talking about a musician here yeah it like it's not a politician it's paul mccartney like he's a politician in the beatles but he's not a like on the world stage it's not that important i don't think right i don't know it's weird yeah it is very strange and everyone at that time felt that it was John Lennon, he was behind it all. And as you'll hear in later episodes, uh, that just wasn't the case. Maybe I'm giving the uh, story away, but no, I mean, Lennon pretty much didn't really care about Paul McCartney and his direction anymore. Um, He called it Paul Peace, and uh, you know how you would put a bag on for bag peace. Uh, He would have somebody get plastic (laughs) surgery to become Paul for Paul Peace. You know, one of the far out things about this rumor is in, I think, to turn it to a slightly darker direction, it foreshadows how people taking the music the wrong way can kind of get out of hand. And it foreshadows, I think, in some ways what would happen the following year with the song Helter Skelter and some of the tracks off the White Album put in the hands of crazy people who turned out to be murderers and things. Not that I want to link the Beatles and Manson together, but I think there's a parallel you could draw between people taking this Paul is Dead stuff to a weird, dark place and somebody like a Manson who would take it to a deadly place. So it's weird to hear the public reaction at the time and where some of the world took this material, you know? That's true. But again, I, I wanted to put that somewhere in the special and I didn't want to extend the special just for this, but I just thought it was an interesting side note. Yeah. And uh, for that, I thought, you know, thank you for broadcasting this one. Well, let's uh, let's get into it here then. Without further ado, we present to you the As It Happened One Late Night on October 21st, 1969, the WABC AM radio broadcast of the Paul Is Dead Conspiracy. I'll bring the cranberry sauce. It's 22 before the hour at 1 o'clock, WABC chime time. I just got a call from Georgia. Now, this doesn't mean a heck of a lot, except for the fact that the other night I got a call from Indiana. And the whole thing is about one thing. The fact that there's something very strange about the Beetle Paul. The fact that the Beetle Paul may be dead. 
In Indiana University, uh, for instance, at Bloomington, uh, there are 30 students working on a research project indicating that uh, the beetle fall might be dead. I talked to them last night for an hour and a half. As a DJ on the world's largest radio station, uh, I felt it uh, my you know business to listen to their uh, claims. And they told me some things which uh, shocked me. And I was up all night last night. And I promised myself that I would not say anything on WABC because I'm talking to 40 states right now. And there are a heck of a lot of people listening to this thing. And I'll surely get fired if I say anything unusual. But the fact is, folks, I've been fired anyhow. You will not hear my show after two weeks from now. It'll be off the air. And uh, I'm not going to be cut now because it's uh, 1239 uh, at night and there's nobody standing by to cut the switch. But I'm going to tell you the truth. These kids at Indiana University have mentioned something very strange about Paul. And I am going to give you the things that they have mentioned. And I hope that you will remember that I told you first, because you're going to hear about this. This is making the wire services, this is making all the local radio newscasts across the country. And I know what they're talking about. It seems that uh, there's something strange that happened to the Beatle Paul. Um, if you will look at the Sgt. Pepper's album, the first strange thing you'll notice is that on the cover, and this may or may not be true, there's a hand over his head, somebody's right hand. This is uh, nothing spectacular. But then you will notice if you look to the right-hand side, there is the WMCA, which is our competition in those days. It's not now, but it was then. Um, welcomes uh, the Beatles. WMCA, good guys, welcome the Beatles, right? On the other side of the uh, Sgt. Pepper album. Okay. In the right hand of that doll is a car. The theory is that Paul the Beatle was killed or will be killed in a sports car. A white, perhaps, Corvette or something like that. I don't know what it is. But that's the doll on the front of the Sgt. Pepper's album. On the grave on the front of the Sgt. Pepper's album, there is a four-string bass, which is the instrument that Paul plays. That's on the grave. It's a left-hand bass. And that is there. I want you to notice in the Magical Mystery Tour album, the numbers that really come out, if you really get very, very high and look at the front of the album, on some, uh, you know, like, you know, mind-bending drug. There are numbers in the title of the album. I want you also to look at the inside pictures. The walrus is a pagan symbol of death. And the walrus is holding his right hand above Paul's head. Now, what does this mean? I want you also to notice in the Beatles albums, if you will take Strawberry Fields Forever and play it at 45 RPM, take the LP and play it at 45. You will distinctly hear the words, I buried Paul, if you play it very high. If you take I am the walrus, you will hear services for Billy. You will hear, is he really dead? And now I'm going to give you the very final thing, as I may well end my radio career. And I sure as hell hope I'm doing it on the top station in New York. And I am. If you will listen very carefully to Revolution Number 9, take it and play it on a two-track machine after you've recorded it on a four-track machine. Play it backwards, and you will hear some very strange things. You will hear things like, Is He Dead? You will hear some very unusual things about Paul the Beatle. And after ten years in broadcasting, I have never felt so... So sure of a thing as I feel right now, 
but that there is something strange going on with the Beatles, and something particularly strange with reference to Paul. Why is he in a black suit with bare feet on the cover of Abbey Road? Do you know that's what they bury people in in England? For instance, in Revolution Number Nine, you can hear the sound of flames. You can hear crackling. You can hear a car crash. You can hear distinctly, "Let me out." And the most shocking thing of all is, you can hear "Turn me on, dead man," if you happen to play it backwards. Now, folks, I have nothing to lose by telling you this. I'm sorry for the telephone girl. There's only one girl on the switchboard tonight at ABC, and I feel sorry for her. But I had to say this because my voice in ABC will be silenced within two weeks. But if you will listen to these songs, you will hear what I said, and if you listen to the rest of the songs. You will hear even more. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly. I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. Why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. I said so. Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Why? Such an easy game to play. I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Before one o'clock, WABC Chime Time. Right now, we have cloudy, windy, and mild for the forecast. Chance of showers, low in the fifties. Cloudy skies, seventy-two. WABC degrees. Well, I see with the impact at uh, thirty or less. Chance excuse for not wearing safety belts. It's a killer. What's your excuse? Thank you, Jack Webb. The most music all through the night, all night music are brought to you by Denison. <laughs> Seventy-seven. Union, New Jersey. Recognized charge plans accepted. Denison is open right now. Twelve and a half minutes before one o'clock on WABC. Robbie Young here in New York with all night music power. This is called Honky Tonk Women, number one on the survey for fifteen weeks. Now it's number ten. Rolling Stones sing. 
Time and the WABC operator can't handle all the calls. There are hundreds of them coming in. Well, I say to that, good. I'm glad the WABC operator can't handle all the calls. Maybe there should be more than one WABC operator. Uh, here's Gary Puckett in the Union Gap at 9 before 1. And this girl's a woman now. This girl walked in dreams Playing in a This girl was a child Existing in a playground of stone Then one night her world was changed Her life and dreams were rearranged And she would never be the same again This girl
This girl tasted love As tender as the gentle dawn She cried a single tear A teardrop that was sweet and warm Our hearts told us we were right And on that sweet and velvet night The child Mortuary on 85th Street 
and 2nd Avenue. They think it's the Cook Place, and he was dressed in black, as he is on the uh, Abbey Road cover, and in uh, bare feet. Now, this is how they bury people in England. He's got a whole thing there. There is something strange going on about Paul of the Beatles, in case you tuned in late and we're trying to figure it out. It's three and a half minutes past the hour of one o'clock. WABC, most music time. This is Roby Young here in New York. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way. Run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Think of what you're saying. You can get it wrong and still you think that it's all right. Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. Chance that we might fall apart before too long. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. past the hour of 1 o'clock, WABC Chinatown. Apparently, a lot of people have heard about the controversy that I am turning you on to about the Beatles. I'm getting calls from all over America. People who are listening tonight from New York. Uh, you know, people have called from Ithaca. I have a call now. And, uh, like all over the place, Bloomington, Indiana, would you believe, has called. There is something strange going on about Paul of the Beatles. We'll learn more about it. It's six past one on WABC. This is Roby Young in New York, and the weather report has just been handed to me. It's raining like crazy. Wow. 72 WABC degrees. Have a call to They're raining like crazy. In that case, with the rain. the next morning. Recognize, Recognize Charlie's Charlie plans accepted. I talked to Charlie last night, as a matter of fact, and Charlie is doing very well and says to tell you all hello and the fact that Denison is open now is uppermost in his mind. So go by there and buy a suit. We just heard from Jerry Green in Ithaca, New York, at WVDR-FM. 
And he says that uh, he's been getting calls, just like I have been, about the strange controversy about Paul of the Beatles, the whole death thing. Uh, if you missed it, I don't have time to tell you about it now. Uh, it'll develop later, okay? Right now, it's music time. And this is by Three Dog Night, and it's called Easy to Be Hard. Music from here, music from off-Broadway on WABC Radio. Roby Young here in New York. The hour of one o'clock up here is time time. Also, uh, I already said time time from uh, Jerry Green at WVBRFM in Ithaca. If you take on the double album, uh, if you take the cut between I'm So Tired and Blackbird, I am told, now I haven't checked this out myself, but I am told from another DJ 
that you will hear if you play it at high volume. Uh, Paul is dead now. Paul is dead now. Miss him. Miss him. Now, I don't know. Last night I stayed up until 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning talking to the kids at the university in uh, Bloomington, uh, Indiana about the fact that uh, are you right, are you wrong, is it really something? And then, like at 4 in the morning, I turned on my own hi-fi set and played these cuts at slow speed and I heard something which made me, like, you know, you hear the expression, turn your blood to ice or something like that. It's very chilling when you hear things like, I buried Paul and Paul is dead now and turn me on dead man. There's something very strange going on. It may be a promotion stunt, or it may be the real thing, or it may be the Beatles trying to tell us something. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. There is something there. All right? Roby Young in New York. Uh, nice day today. 72 WABC degrees, and <laughs> now it's raining. 13 past 1. Go. <laughs> 77 Radio. Charlie Dennison, a men's clothier, Route 22, Union, New Jersey, open to 15 past one. Dennison is open now. Speaking to uh, Ed Vane, is it? Ed Vane, at WUVT, University of Virginia. Is that correct, Ed? Virginia Tech. Where is that located, Ed? Blacksburg. Hello, Blacksburg, Virginia. About the Beatle controversy, he says they're doing a special program on it, and he wants to know all we know, all I know. All I know is that two weeks ago, I called Capitol Records and ordered every Beatle album, and I bought a $450 hi-fi amplifier, and I sat home, and my engineers will attest to this, and I listened to the Beatle albums, and I played them backwards and forwards, and I played them at every speed. And on the Roby Young hi-fi set, we heard strange things, folks. We heard things like, I buried Paul. Uh, services for Billy. We heard strange things when we played Revolution Number no. 9 backwards, and I want you to do that. I want you to get Revolution Number no. 9 and play it backwards. It's from the double album. The Beatles are trying to tell us something about Paul. I don't think it is an advertising promotion stunt. I really don't. And I'm backed up by college students, groups of people all over America who are calling in tonight. And folks, this is a live show. And they're saying the same thing. There is something very strange going on with the Beatles, with uh, reference to Paul. Did you know that the walrus was a pagan symbol for death? Did you know that? Look it up. Do you see the right hand of the walrus on those pictures in the Magical Mystery Tour? Can you see numbers if you get really high on something or other in the title of the Magical Mystery Tour? Okay, work on that, all right? This is Dionne Warwick. And uh, you've lost that loving feeling. First time by the Righteous Brothers. It is 22 minutes before the hour of 2 o'clock. And uh, we just heard from Rutgers University once again, Dennis Sluka. On the Sgt. Pepper album of the Beatles, uh, if you will look in the center page, you will find OPD. That is on uh, Paul's arm, or the costume of the person uh, who is portraying Paul. That may mean officially pronounced dead. I am inclined to doubt that. I don't know what they do. Uh, we should ask Webb Kelly, our resident information expert, what they do on this. But that is some sort of a, a thing on the arm of Paul that may have something to do with it or not. Rutgers comes up with it and says, yes, they do. Um, in the day in the life, in the Beatles, the lyrics, a day in the life, I saw the photograph. No one knew whether or not he was... Uh, 
from the House of Lords. I'm paraphrasing, of course. I don't have the lyrics before me. He blew his mind out in a car. The theory is that Paul uh, was killed in a car or will be killed in a car. And I uh, hadn't noticed the lights had changed, blah, blah, blah. And um, the fact, uh, the reference to the House of Lords and Day in the Life now becomes clear after three or four years, after it's been out, three years, I guess it is. Apparently, this means that since the Beatles were made uh, honorary members of the OBE or OBC, what, what is it, uh, Webb, when you become a member of the, uh, member of the uh, Order of the British Empire, says Mr. Kelly in the newsroom. Uh, that may have a reference to that. I don't know. It's very complicated. It may be an advertising stunt by the Beatles, but I don't really think it is. And we are uncovering it now, and you're hearing it here for the first time, and I'm taking time with it uh, because I think it's important. Okay? All right. If you have anything important to say, call ABC in New York. But uh, if you don't, if you just want to comment, please don't, because Pat just called me. There's only one girl on the ABC telephone desk. She had 350 calls in 10 minutes, and there's only the one girl in the digital counter counted the calls. And, uh, like, you know, they can't afford to put on more than one girl tonight, so cool it unless you have really something to say. Uh, and if the lines are busy, like, call back later, okay? 20 minutes before 2. Moving right along, folks. That says if you can do anything to keep them from calling, do it. Uh... Denison Immense Globier, Route 22, Union, New Jersey, open 10 a.m. until 5 the next morning. Denison is open now. Rutgers, Uni <laughs> Rutgers University has come up with a whole new thing here um, on Glass Onion, the double album, right? Beatles, double album, a few months ago. Glass Onion, looking up at the tulips uh, to see how the other half lives. I told you about the walrus. The walrus was Paul. The walrus, symbol for death. Uh, the walrus is Paul. He and I are as close as can be. Put that together. And Rutgers says, uh, looking up at tulips from, um, you know, like below the uh, glass onion, is looking up from the uh, grave to see how the other half lives. It all ties together if you listen to the lyrics. Or maybe it means nothing. It's up to you to decide. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just putting the whole thing out. Because I am not going to take responsibility for this. But I'm sure as heck going to tell you everything I know. Well, after 10 years in radio, I know about, you know coming out on the air and saying things. I'm just trying to be neutral. So don't sue me. You have no chance. I've already checked it out with my attorney. Blood, sweat, and tears when I die. Child born in this world can 
Let me go naturally And when I die And when I'm dead, dead and gone There'll be child born to carry on in this world, huh? Sort of transmigration scene there, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are with 72 WABC degree, 14 before 2 o'clock. And we're getting calls. I got a call from a guy in Patchogue, Long Island, said, oh, and I've got long distance on the other line. We have 350 calls about 10 minutes ago. I don't know what they are now. Please don't call ABC New York unless you have something definite to say. Um, I had, last night, I found out about this Beatle thing. At home, I discovered it, and I talked to a series of uh, research people at the uh, Indiana University in Bloomington. And I said, wow, I'm not going to say anything, you know. I'll keep it to myself. But apparently other stations are about to pick it up, and people know about it. So why not, you know, why not talk about it? My engineer tells me we've got calls coming in from uh, uh, Florida and uh, Maine and the Midwest. So I really shouldn't talk too much now. But I will say this. We're on to something. We're on to either a very carefully thought-out promotion plot by the Beatles, or a death wish by Paul, or something very, very strange. If you tuned in late, listen to other stations. By now, they should have picked it up. You know, after I'm off the air, you'll hear about it. Something strange having to do with the Beatle Paul. But please remember you heard it here first in the middle of the night, okay? Please do me that favor, because I'm not going to be around that much longer. 
Twelve and a half before two. Roby Young here in New York with all my music power. is open right now.
on WABC's All Night Music Power, brought to you by Denison, a men's clothier, Route 22, Union, New Jersey, where money talks and nobody walks. News five minutes sooner from WABC, New York. 55 and 25, this is Bob Howard. The most music on 77 New York. Don't know what it's all about But I feel I'll soon find out I'm sure never felt this secure It's nothing like I ever thought it would be Someone opened up a door for me A girl like
Three minutes past two o'clock, WABC Chime Time. More music now. The Flying Machine, this is number 24. Rosemary. Smile a little smile for me. You know how to do it. Come on.
minutes past 2 o'clock in WABC's All Night Music Park. It's raining like cats and dogs out there. Very heavy if you're driving. Please take care. 72 WABC degrees. Les Marshak here, and, you know, we've been getting some phone calls. The uh, switchboard downstairs has been inundated regarding some speculating that uh, Roby Young was doing earlier this morning regarding Paul McCartney. If you were listening, you're aware of it. But please be assured that those speculations are untrue. They are untrue. Please don't call, all right? Thank you for me and from the operator, too. Now these other stories from the Contemporary News Desk. Well, the Beatles are still a quartet. Rumors for the past few days that Paul McCartney was dead came to a head yesterday. The problem became so bad that McCartney had to release a statement showing he was alive and well. McCartney said, if I were dead, I'd be the last to know. That's the latest news. I'm Joe Templeton in Washington for American Contemporary Radio. A service of ABC News. This is news from American Contemporary Radio, and I'm Don Gardner in New York. Here's the latest on the Paul McCartney affair. We asked Richard DeLello, the Beatle record company in London this morning, if Paul is okay. Yes, he is. He is alive and well and unconcerned about rumors of his death. He figures that if he were dead, he would in any case be the last to know. And DeLello says his office has had a flood of phone calls from the U.S. asking about Paul McCartney. Contemporary Radio has been reporting for two weeks that Paul McCartney is alive, despite what you hear elsewhere. More news from American Contemporary Radio in just 60 seconds. Hi, this is Jimmy Rogers again for Seaboard Command. We'd like to thank you all for listening to the show so far. We hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode. We'll try and do a couple more of these guys. What do you say? We should do a couple more of these. I'm game. I think it's great. I think we should also maybe get some listeners on board to see what they would like in the future or what their opinions are. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listeners such as so many people talking to us on social media. Again, if you want to find us on social media, we're facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast where we talk to lovely people like Jennifer Kearns. Thank you so much, Jennifer. You always have a lovely comment about every post and photo and all that stuff. So She does. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, you're wonderful. Uh, We have so many here, guys. Don't forget Todd LaBelle and, and Rich McGuire and Michael Shawcross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of which have very fascinating stories and things that they share. And I do appreciate them. Yeah. And we've also got Callie Durga commenting so much. Thank you so much, Callie, as well as Rich Shaler. And we've also got Mike O'Callaghan and Mike Jezitis. We know you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in there. <laughs> and thank everyone, really, for uh, listening to the special. I do appreciate everyone tuning in. On Twitter, you can find us at YesterdayPod. We have a lot of people interacting with us there as well, as well, including Julie Farron. Julie always has a, a, a lovely message for us or a nice comment or retweet on the episode. So thank you, Julie Farron. On Twitter, we also have uh, a bunch of people who often are tweeting about the show. We have Tim Malugan or at Tim Malugan on Twitter who gave us a very nice note. He says he's loving it, and uh, that was very kind of him to say. Rubber Soul XEX5791 must kill um, <laughs> very nice uh, Dr. Winston O'Boogie here and um, Samantha McCartney uh, who I think are Beatle fans Mauricio Atalvaro so many thank you for following us on Twitter if you'd like to send us an email you can do so we won't stop you I mean you know 
be fine. Uh, you can send us an email to yesterday and today podcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. You know, let us know what you think about the show. Dad, I think uh, it'd be fair to say we're often looking for feedback. Yes, it is fair to say. Uh, oh, thank you for agreeing that it's all fair. <laughs> it's very fair. Um, and you can do that by going on iTunes and rating and reviewing. Uh, it definitely helps out a great deal. And thanks to everybody who has so far. So thanks. Yeah. And my special thanks to my two sons, Paul and James, for, put, for airing this special. Uh, thank oh. you. Well, it's our pleasure. I've heard um, they're kind of uh, jerks. So. Mm. <laughs> Um, and then, That's what uh, you say. <laughs> we'd just like to give a, an additional shout out to Pippa. We host the show with Pippa. Anyone who's looking to start a podcast should really check out Pippa. They've opened up a lot of great resources for us, including Spotify, where uh, you can find the show, which is pretty neat. I don't think we would have been able to get on Spotify without Pippa. And uh, it allows us to see wonderful analytics about who is actually listening to the episodes. And we are closing in between yesterday and today and the podcast that James and I do the third men podcast we're closing in on twenty five thousand downloads since joining pippa alone so pippa's opened a lot of doors for us and we want to thank them and thank you for uh contributing it's been really cool being able to bring these shows to you yes i think so thank you <laughs> all right well dad is there a song you want to play us out with what do you think should we uh should we tease some upcoming uh tunes or should we go with one that uh we've heard before how about backfield in motion? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can we get Mambo number five, maybe? Or um, Ricky Martin? Um, can we do some Ricky Martin? Yeah. Is there any Bungalow Bill we can throw on? Oh, that's a great hey. For all you members of the Bungalow Bill fan club out there, why don't we go out with Bungalow Bill? What do you say? Sounds good to me. Sounds good. All right. So this has been Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky speaking with his voice. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next week on Yesterday and Today. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill.
the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time! Everyone tuning in. Um, Pun. Hello. 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 I was just I, I was just saying pun because that's a oh. fun pun for tune in the book. That's all. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Tough crowd. Um, uh, Is it time to s- make funny voices and uh, <laughs> some skits? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. And we are the co-hosts of the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast where we go over the White Stripes, Third Man Records, the list goes on. And occasionally, we do a funny voice or two. So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. (laughs) Hey now, you're an all-star, because occasionally... We'll do an all-star podcast. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once. That is true. <laughs> we are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird. See? We weren't <laughs> even lying.